Hello, my name is Robert Kaspersen. I'm a Norena ambassador, professional climber and mountain guide. Welcome to Norona Podcast. My name is Eivind Eidslott. In Norona Podcast, we want to inspire you and facilitate great adventures in nature by meeting exciting people and telling fascinating stories. In this episode, you'll meet Robert Kaspersen, Norona ambassador and one of the most experienced mountain climbers out there. Robert climbs big walls and spectacular summits, both in Norway, in the Alps, in the Himalayas, in Patagonia and in the Antarctica, and he works as an international mountain guide. Robert is guest in several episodes of Nuruna Podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about his legendary climbing expedition to one of the biggest big walls out there, the Trango Pulpit in the Himalayas, back in 1999. Welcome to Nuruna Podcast, Robert. Thank you, Ivan. Let's get right at it. We would like to hear some stories from your first ascent of the northeast face at Trango Pulpit in the Himalayas. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Safe here in the chair. <laughs> the big Trango towers, they have a special place in the Norwegian climbing community. Why is that? That's because of... Uh the climbing expedition that was there in the summer of 1984. Yeah. Uh, four young Norwegian climbers went down there to try and do the first ascent of the northeast buttress of Great Trango Tower, which was a, a line that many people, many climbers had, had looked at yeah. as they passed the Dungey Glacier uh, towards uh, Broad Peak K2 or Gashabrum 1 or 2 or other mountains. They had uh, gazed into this side valley and seen the formidable uh, profile of yeah. this this wall. And they had even uh, and, and actually climbed the, the opposite, the Trango Tower, which is a quite confusing because it's called the Great Trango Tower and Trango Tower. Okay. The Trango Tower is the real pointed uh, tower, the real tower. Uh, opposite, which was first climbed by the the Brits in uh, 1976 or 77, I think. Okay. Boysen and, and uh, Mo Antoine and those guys. Mm. Um, but Great Trango Tower is not a real tower. It's more like big walls, uh, several big walls. And they are really, really big. They're big. Uh, is it the biggest walls in in the world? I would think so. I mean, I've never seen or heard of any vertical wall that is higher than 1200 meters uh i don't know if this is a geology uh, phenomena physics or uh, geology or something but i don't think they exist wall, vertical walls that are higher than 1200 meters okay usually they are around 1000 meters yeah in the Trango massif there's no bigger walls either but they are stacked up upon each other yeah. Like uh, thousand meters, and then five hundred meters on top of that, or six hundred, or whatever, what have you. So they they become quite big, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, it's renowned for the biggest amongst the biggest big walls, <laughs> the biggest big walls in in the world. <laughs> uh, what's very special with the uh, 
the triangle, well, uh, compared to a lot of other big walls around the world, is the altitude where it's, in addition, it's not only a big wall, but it's the climbing is from between 4,000 and 6,000 or 6,300 meters above sea level. Which is quite which, high. Which is quite high, yeah. yeah. Of course, there are, if you gaze from the top of, which I did, uh, Triangle Pulpit, if you if you gaze westwards, you can see Marsebrum. Okay. Oh, Marsebrum. <laughs> Another a, mountain. <laughs> a, a crazy mountain. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a bit more about Marshall. But, but what happened back in, in 1984? Uh, yeah, in the back in 1984. Uh, what happened was quite tragically that, uh, that two of the climbers, uh, Finn Dari and Hans Christian Duset, they died. What happened was that um, they, uh, the, the climb took longer time than they had anticipated. Uh, they ran out of food or were starting to run out of food. And they had uh, reached uh, two-thirds up the climb, the lower buttress, like appro- approximately a thousand meters they had climbed. And uh, they, they realized that they reached a section just on the on the beginning of the, the upper pillar, which is probably 400 meters high or something, three, 400 meters high. Uh, they, they reached a very blank section. Mm-hmm. I think it's like two, two and a half pitches. 100 meters or something like that, uh, which is seemingly blank mm-hmm. to reach to reach some big formations, uh, and this took time. To they did sky hooking and some bat hooking and some drilling to pass this in the tradition of uh, climbing in Yosemite and other big walls. That time they they had the expansion bolts mm-hmm. to to enable them to pass uh, completely bank sections. But this took time, so they realized that uh, we won't have enough time slash food mm. for all four of us to reach the summit. So they d- decided to split the team in two. So Dog, Kolstra, and Stein Pjåsheim uh, volunteered to, to abseil off. Mm. So they got a few ropes and, and some gear, and they abseiled down the lower pillar and and went back to, to base camp a few kilometers down the glacier to to wait for their friends there. And uh, every day they were out of camp with their binoculars and uh, and scouting for their friends, Hans Christian and Finn, who uh, continued. Mm-hmm. And only a few days after they had split up, they, they managed, uh, Hans Christian and Finn, to, to pass this very blank section and reach the, the good formations. Mm. And this was a huge uh, crack that basically led to the summit. So it only took them, I think, uh, another week uh, after they split up. Uh, they could see them on the summit. Okay. In silhouette uh, with binoculars, they could see them on the summit, actually. And uh, obviously, they were really tired, Hans Christian and Finn, they must have been. And uh, they started the, the descent and... Uh, the first day, they just got back to their tents on top of the steepest part of the wall. And then the next day, they abseiled down to their their um, commune uh, camp where they had camped together, mm-hmm. the whole team of four, at the bottom of uh, the top pillar. And uh, I think the third day of the descent, when they went up on the glacier, Dog, uh, with his binoculars to look for them, uh, he couldn't see them. Okay. They were... They were uh, they were not visible on the rock face. And, of course, immediately he... 
he he realized something bad had happened because uh, it's it's a very blank face you can't hide anywhere mm. but it's a bit uh, curved so he run further up the glacier to ha- have a look around the, the, the sort of corner or the pillar to see if they might have taken another way down, but uh, they hadn't. So so uh, so they, they, they organized a search and rescue, fine, a search. They Obviously, they thought that this was really bad. Things had happened. Mm. So it took uh, them a few days, I think, and then they got hold of a military hol- helicopter and flew in under the pillar and uh, they could see uh, Hans Christian and Finn's bodies lying uh, on, on, on the glacier just below the, the lower um, pillar with uh, all their ropes and gears around mm. them. Mm. And it was obvious that uh, tragedy had uh, struck and uh, they had fallen very long uh, mm. way down mm. this lower wall. So this was a big tragedy, of course, and um, and uh, but it's yeah. So for for the their families and friends, and of course for the the Norwegian Scandinavian climbing community. Um, but at the same time, this was this uh, this gave headlines and really put Trango on the map as uh, extreme cl- and a, a venue for extreme climbing. Mm. Uh, what they had achieved, well, they didn't quite achieve it because they didn't come back down again, but uh, reaching the summit it was categorized as the first grade seven climb uh, in seriousness uh, in the world, actually. Uh, really, uh, nobody had ever climbed this uh, technical, uh, dif- di- at this technically difficulty mm. at such an altitude. I mean, it was not nothing different from the climbing in Yosemite Valley or Trollwegen, which has already had already been going on for forty years. But this was uh, at uh, another exposure with mm. with the altitude. So another level, another level. So this was uh, quite extraordinary, but uh, at the same time tragic, uh, mm. tragic. Stein Peirosheim, he he wrote a book about the expedition called yeah. Trango Triumph and Tragedy or Success or Tragedy. Yes, and Triumph that became and why, uh, kind of a pillar in in the Norwegian climbing community. Yeah, obviously, because this 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 the achievement uh, is extraordinary. Uh, the story they came back with, uh, the photographs is extraordinary. Uh, the book uh, that Stein wrote, humble and and to the point. I mean, it's it's a story that carries itself mm. it's it's a tragedy but it's full of challenges and toughness and what have you it's it's a it's a perfect plot mm. as to say so a lot of people even though that don't climb they've read about trongo and this is a an modern legend mm. sort of in in norwegian uh, in the norwegian uh, society uh can you remember when you read the book yourself oh yeah first time? I re- because i was it was when i started it was i started four years of climbing after this accident in 84 mm-hmm. no accident was in 84 i started in 88 mm-hmm. and just the week after i started climbing i got hold of this book because of course i went to the library to get hold of any books 
uh, about climbing and there were no books about climbing or very few books about climbing, but this was one of them. Mm. And it was at the local library, this book, and I I borrowed it and I kept it for three months, I think, and read it uh, (laughs) probably 10 times. And uh, I was totally absorbed by the... uh, by the challenge, the story, the photographs of this seemingly blank golden granite face. Uh, It was really, it attracted me very much, this Mm. adventure, going into the unknown, uh, trying to scale uh, such a challenge far away. So in in some way, this tragic history got you to be drawn Or it inspired you. I, yeah, to definitely. Go I think. I mean, what this that kind of adventures were probably what I was seeking in life, and uh, and suddenly climbing was into my life, and this was a, a very obvious example mm. uh, for something that I would. Yeah, that's that's something I would like to do, mm. and so immediately I I really I I, I thought that uh, one day I'd like to do this. But I realized that it will take some time to get this level. Yeah. Uh, but it will come, I thought. But not more than 11 years. No, 10, 11, <laughs> 11 years. Uh, 10 until I planned it and yeah, then 11 yeah, yeah. until I did it. Yeah. Uh, which is, I, I think I was quite patient. I could have done gone there several years before. I think... Uh, it, Yeah, I think uh, that would have been reasonable to do also. Mm-hmm. But it all came. It, it it's yeah. It, it felt good to go there in in uh, the 1999. Yes, 11 years later, I was prepared. And who did you ask to join you? Was there any one of those that said no? <laughs> uh, no, actually. Well. I don't think uh, I. I mean, you don't ask anybody, and uh, so I, you do, you prepare. I probably uh, quite a few people would have said no if I'd asked them, but I only asked those I knew would say yes. Because <laughs> uh, b- what what was strange about Trungo, which is still strange, sort of, but was what we really felt in the period planning this expedition is that the myth or the legend or it's not a myth or a legend but it's it's a true story about trango really uh, had its toll or on, on the norwegian community mm. so uh we i was met i was met with a quite non reasonable uh, thoughts and acc- acclamations i mean people were i was saying uh, people were keen ah oh, you're hearing you're going to the himalayas to the karakoram next year what are you mm. climbing Uh, oh, we're planning to do uh, New Rotan Trango. And then suddenly my old climbing partners or whatever, they got quiet and said, mm, well, you know, Trango, that's really dangerous. Mm. And I was like, ha, huh? stop kidding me. I mean, that's why we do this. It's dangerous. <laughs> and, and and they just, I mean, I, it felt really strange because people that, they know the contract we have with climbing, it's dangerous. Mm. That's partly why we do it. But when we go climbing, we do everything we can to come back alive it's not to die we we just want to live strongly mm. and that's why we do it uh and and we if we go to to the mont blanc region to climb grand churras or to trollvegen or to a smaller mountain here or there or dinky donkey it's the same mm. we do the same thing mm. but 
it was typical that Trangod it had a, a mark on it mm. that uh, made people come with this uh, this darkness darkness and and they, they started giving us bad conscience. It mm. made it really difficult for us to organize the trip actually because uh, immediately Trangod had this attraction. Everybody knew about it, but it also had this bad omen. Mm. That, and, and I felt that. Uh, this came from the even from the climbing community, mm. people that knew uh, our goals, ambitions, our contract with the life, death, climbing, mm. and how we we prepared. They came with, uh, yeah, these remarks that didn't actually uh, boost our our confidence. <laughs> so it it and it hit hard on uh, one of the. Uh, you asked about who who I asked to come on the expedition. Mm. Uh, one of the people I asked, and uh, and he was going on the expedition actually he had to uh, retire from the expedition just a month before we were going okay. because of this uh, too much pressure on the trango thing really yeah that uh, there was too much talk and pressure that trango was dangerous or so so forth so he he was a very very good candidate but uh, he felt bad about it Well, no, he wanted to go, but his wife felt very bad about it. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> Naturally. But he had, oh, well, he's partly, partly, he could, uh, he had, uh, he'd, he'd made a fool of himself anyway, because he had gone on a big wall and uh, came home four days after the, the date he was supposed to come home, and she was very scared. So it was a very bad planning for him. But I, yeah, no, I asked. Uh, So then, then I had to find somebody else uh, just a month before we left. And then I phoned my friend Gunnar on the West Coast. Uh, what, what was fun though, was this, this guy, this friend that was, he had been on the plan for a year and um, and uh, very, very talented and accomplished climber. But then he phoned me one evening, four weeks before we were going to Trongo, which we had planned for a year and said, sorry, Robert, my wife has now... Uh, said uh, veto she just said no you're not going and that was because <laughs> she said no she said no because he came back from Kjærag this big wall in Norway four days after he was supposed to and it was before we had any cellular phones mobile phones and she was very scared they had called the police rescue operation and so forth very oh. very stressful so she said sorry sorry I just can't go but you know what you should call uh, Gunnar Uh, and Gunnar, and I did, because Gunnar, he was uh, the partner of uh, this other guy yeah. on Kjærag. And when he got home to his wife, uh, his luggage was already packed. It was in the hallway. <laughs> so so he was in <laughs> a new... That's a signal. That's a signal. So he had a, was in a completely new family situation. So he had a lot of time left and he was quite depressed. So I thought, yes, I'll call him. <laughs> he needs uh, something to dream about and, uh, and to think about something else. And uh, luckily, so Gunnar said yes. Gunnar, he said yes. <laughs> this escape, and then it's very good to be. I mean, it's good to have a long CV, to have climbed a lot of big walls and be be experienced. But it's also good to be single when yeah. you do sting, stuff <laughs> it's like good this. To be single. <laughs> and he was now single. So we were, uh, and even though he came, it was only a month until we left. He, he was part. He's my my age, and we are part of the same same generation in Norway. And he also grew up with this book, Trango, Triumphant Traga Tragedy, mm. and this legend. And so he all, he's also, he had also s secretly been dreaming about climbing this mountain for 10 years. So all, all the four of us that eventually went, we had dreamed about this for 10 years, I think. And yeah. then 
came together for this last year or last month and and organized it <laughs> and and went. And how would you describe the Trango range when you first saw it with your own eyes? How was it to just stay stay there and oh, it was I, look I, at it? Yeah, it was beautiful. It was just like I had thought that I just wanted to come there, look at the mountains and and enjoy it. It's it's big. It's it's beautiful. But um, I must admit, when we arrived, I was I was very keen on get uh, to get climbing. <laughs> I was very very keen on <laughs> could hardly sit still. I was really keen on climbing, and and we were also very curious because when we were at the office, uh, the tourism or the, the tourist minister ministry in in uh, Islamabad, going there, uh, we we also suddenly heard that there was some other expeditions going in to climb the highest big wall in the world and okay. we were quite sure that w- that was our big wall yeah on trango pulpit but uh it, apparently it turned out that two uh, one american team and a russian team were climbing on the other side of our mountain the okay. same same year so there was some kind of expedition so we i was really afraid that they were climbing on our route on yeah, the yeah, line yeah. we had dreamt about when we uh, round, uh, came around the corner and entered the valley but they were There were no people there. Luckily, they were on the other side of the mountain. That's good, but the competition—it was quite. It was a bit competition. Yeah. yeah, I could feel it. But yeah, Trango was. Uh, it, I mean, it's so difficult. I was very anxious to know if it was climbable because mm. you. We had studied photographs, a lot of photographs, and dreamt uh, about uh, climbing through these huge walls. Mm. Uh, but you never know until you're there if it's possible, or until you try. And how was the feeling when you just touched the mountain and started the first rope length? I was uh, wow. The, the first rope length was quite scary because uh, uh, we were starting the for, as I was tying my figure of eight knot uh, together with Gunnar at the foot of the first pitch. I suddenly heard a terrible noise uh, that we the climbers don't like it's the 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 sound of uh, stones rock oh. coming through the air a landslide yes not a, yeah just the, the, like a, a gunfire yeah yeah and we looked up and we could see five or six black spots just coming our way and oh. getting bigger so it was a rock fall from maybe 200 meters above our heads 300 meters and so we just We we had just time to throw ourselves into the uh, t- to the snow uh, below the ro- uh, rock face mm. uh, before these rocks just hit the snow just five meters away from us. <laughs> so that's that a was, bad sign. That's a bad sign. So immediately in uh, just two seconds we decided and it was quite fun actually because I can't I can't remember the we didn't talk much but we instead of running away from the from the from the face. I ran up. Oh. Yeah. I found that I wouldn't go straight up where the rockfall was, where we intended to go, which looked easiest. I, I just climbed five meters to the right into a, a quite easy also corner, yeah. uh, scrambling or, or it's grade five or six A maybe. And then just climbed as fast as I could up and traversed out to a ledge on the right-hand side so that, so that uh, we wouldn't be hit by another rockfall. <laughs> That was your instinct. <laughs> that was my instinct. <laughs> I was, I mean, yeah, I was very, very, very keen on climbing this mountain. Yeah, I must admit. 
how many days uh, did you climb before you you left the ground and uh, we stayed in the wall for the rest of the expedition? We I think we spent from reaching base camp. Uh, it was probably a two or three hours hike up the glacier to to start the climb, and we had some luggage to carry up and ropes, and so we. I think we spent three days maybe walking up, carrying gear and fixing ropes. Mm. We had, uh, I think we had six 50-meter ropes with us. Oh, six of them. Six 50-meter ropes. So we had enough rope for uh, three, yeah, 300 meters. So we fixed fixed our all our ropes uh, while we were sleeping in base camp carrying mm. up gear to to get established at the foot of the climb and mm. then uh, once we were up there with all our gear we we just uh, we uh, we 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 took off from the from mm. the and pulled the ropes up and started to climb established our first camp at 300 meters and then stayed on the wall what did you bring well what, uh, what do you bring when you're going to stay in the wall for <laughs> such a long time no, it's very easy. You bring uh, climbing gear and and food. <laughs> so, how many kilos? I can't remember. I don't know how many kilos. It must have been, I don't know, 150 kilos or mm. maybe 200. I don't. Know. I, I, yeah, the climbing gear is heavy, though. Mm. You know, uh, we had a lot of. I mean, we were prepared for everything. You have like hundred copper heads. So you have a lot of thin knife blades. You have everything. To, to climb the most difficult features. It looked like, I mean, this rock face looks like some beautiful blank section of El Capitan mm. in Yosemite Valley. So you need to be prepared for continuous uh, pitches of, of thin thin aid climbing mm. where very small metal pieces needs to be hammered into small structures and so forth. Yeah. So you, you need to have a lot of gear with you and then uh, food for enough time. And uh, we, d- looking at the face, we decided uh, the, the rock face is maybe 1,600 uh, meters vertical. A thousand meter wall with another six hundred meter wall on top, and then three hundred meter ridge climb. <laughs> I think we had, yeah, the whole climb was two thousand two hundred meters. Um, so we we looking at it, we said no, none of us had ever been on a rock face more than I think I had the record in the group with seventeen days in in Antarctica once on the Ronde Spire, mm. uh, but this looked bigger. So we decided to bring food for twenty five days. 25. 25 days. Mm. And that was, uh, and in addition, I think we had an, a few days, two, three days with uh, with uh, sort of uh, emergency rations, but 25 good rations days, mm. like f- four and a half or four, th- four and a half thousand calories mm. per, per person per day, I think. So, yeah, that was the plan. But uh, it didn't quite uh, <laughs> go that way, actually. The climbing was difficult. It was. A little bit slower than you anticipated? Yes, it was. Uh, well, the first six or seven pitches we climbed in, in free, free climbed, uh, at up to a like 60 plus level. Uh, very nice slab climbing, quite exposed in, in parts, run out. Uh, but uh, after the seventh pitch... I think approximately, yeah, 
it it became very compact the mm. rock thin stru- uh, thin uh hot, difficult to get your fingers into anything and and uh, no, nothing to stand on with your feet so we we transformed more or less to 100% aid climbing yeah. just doing the odd free move now and then if you reached something big enough to 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 climb fast on, on. Uh, and then when you free climb, oh no, you're, when you're aid climbing, I mean, the the, the, the speed is reduced uh, very mm. much. Mm. Uh, so it took time and we, some days we only climbed 60 meters. It was too difficult, uh, just very technical climbing. Yeah. So this, but, and, and it was, it was fantastic actually we 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 almost forgot time was passing because we were enjoying it so much (laughs) it was just uh, more than uh, you you could dream of because it was excellent climbing all the way and challenging every pitch there was no pitch easier than what we call a3 aid climbing it was like really sustained difficult Mm. a3 plus maybe on as the easiest pitches so it it was every pitch was demanding Mm. and rewarding (laughs) <laughs> demanding and rewarding. Yes, and uh, on this expedition and at uh, in 1984 as well, Nurona was the clothing sponsor, right? Yes, with the troll wagon, troll wall clothing line. Yes. What, what's the specifics in this climbing line of Nurona? Why is that the chosen line for such an expedition? Well, it's it's quite obvious. It's the most durable gear, uh, combined with the with the the movements, the possibility to have your. It's got long arms, so you can have your your arms above your head and do real climbing mm. without the whole jacket uh, rising. Uh, it's got a really good hood that uh, will s- sit on top of your helmet. Uh, it's all the details, and it's uh, fairly lightweight, but but. Yeah, it's it's primarily very very solid, mm. solid. Uh, it's, it's it's good. All the details are good. Curved knees and it's it's changed a lot. This Trollwegen in 1984 is not Trollwegen as in uh, 2022. No, it's it's gradually developed, but it's always uh, the cutting edge. Yeah. It's always trying to be the best. You have developed this line yourself, yeah. actually. Well, what kind of details have you put on it? No, I mean it's like uh, you work on different uh, types of drop seat. Where it's been a development there, back and forth. It's not always uh, we don't, don't always agree on the solutions. But uh, why do you need a drop seat uh, when you're on the <laughs> rock face and and you're hanging all the time and you want to go to your toilet? You yeah. can't take off your harness. Uh, you can't really re- remove much clothing, and you you have to go to the toilet. It's it's very practical to have a, a drop seat. So that's that's, that's the why. drop seat solution that's on the, the troll wagon. Yeah. You need that. You need that really on a wall like that. Um, no, I mean is it, that's. I mean, most what's really nice with the uh, Norena is uh, they've always uh, wanted to have the best fabrics. Fabrics. They mm. all, you you, know, you never doubt that you have got the best best fa- fabrics. They're 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 for the the they're quite expensive, but it's the best fabrics. And then. I can't do much about the fabrics, but I can work on the details, and I'm really into the details in in the garments. Mm. And uh, it's it's first when when you're in a design studio and you, you don't 
is for is when you're in the mountains in the wall like that or in the cold in antarctica or in the winter mountains or in the big wall like that you really get to test the gear mm. is it possible to use uh, with gloves so uh, i mean so mm. and, and then it's it shows if if you if we if the pockets or the sleeves or the hood or all these adjustments are correct and this expedition was a really test piece for this flowing yeah, because yeah. you stayed in that wall for a long time. Yeah, not, not just twenty-five days. Tell no. us about the how many days. I mean, we've totally miscalculated, uh, and I mean, sometimes that brings out the real adventures, uh, mistakes. Really, uh, so you kind of enjoy mistakes yeah. as well. No, well, it's, it's a, maybe the wrong way to put it, but it's true. When you when you when I look back at all my adventures, those uh, it's it's kind of irony. But those who are the closest calls, sort of where you're very close to your limits, are often valued as very good adventures. Where where you sort of it's it's not obvious that will you'll make it. Uh, I mean, talking about achieving it, not dying, mm. but achieving it. Mm. Uh, uh so so it's 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 very nice to be close to your potential as yeah. to say it's yeah. a real challenge and of course if we knew the whole expedition took us 38 days we had food for 25 if we had known that we would uh, use 38 days on this wall we would probably had have taken 38 days of food but because we we had taken 38 days of food, it might have been we wouldn't have made it because uh, it would be more too heavy. too heavy in the beginning. Yeah. It would you know more yeah. tiring in the start. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. <laughs> uh, at least it ended up uh, being very exciting in the in the end because uh, after 21 days we finished the the bottom like thousand meters the pillar or the wall at the bottom was 1,000 meter high. We reached uh, the first snow patch up there. We could uh, fill up uh, our our snow reservoir, mm-hmm. water reservoir. And then we had used, spent 21 days and we were looking up at the 600 meter sheer wall and then 300 another meters for the, for the summit uh, on a ridge line after that. So it was quite obvious we wouldn't make it with four days of good rations. <laughs> no. And then the, the... So we... What did you do? Did you uh, we just, halfen them or...? We, no, we more than halfen them. We we one-fourth, we, we dis- divided everything so that we, we, we didn't... We, did, we just decided we need two weeks more, 14 days more of rations we need so that we have for 35 days. Mm. And we just split it into 14 rations, what we had left. And then we looked at the labels... Afterwards, and that this and uh, that turned out to be one thousand three hundred and fifty calories per person per day. That's not enough. That's not enough. <laughs> no. So it's obvious. I mean, but but uh, we had enough water, we had enough gas and and fuel to to melt snow and ice. So and then obviously if we had had more food if we had been able to carry it we probably would have had more energy in the end and climbed faster maybe but but we managed to mm. to to climb still even though we were very very hungry for 2 weeks we lived on this uh, poor menu mm. uh until we reached the summit on the 35th day and then uh, descending to our port ledge, just a few hundred meters below, 
uh, and then having our last meal really that day on the 35th, fifth day <laughs> in the evening. <laughs> How did it's, that feel to take your last I, meal? It felt very committing. Uh, I mean, I was very hungry, so it felt very good, but it was very small, that portion of, of food. And I'd been hungry for like two weeks. So, and it felt very real uh, that now we were at the point, we had discussed two weeks earlier that uh, we quite easily, we had said, okay, we, we just make enough food to get to the summit. And uh, if we have to return without food, we'll we'll manage. Okay. Uh, and now we were there. <laughs> we we had no more food, and we had three days of abseiling. But uh, abseiling with a body that's so exhausted and that hungry, isn't that the most dangerous part of a yes climbing expedition? Definitely, it's it's dangerous, uh, but it's also very much easier than climbing. Luckily, abseiling is a lot easier, but you just have to be focused. Mm. And of course, uh, when you don't eat much, you you lose your focus. So, but we were very very aware of this situation. Uh, tragically, because we had the, the testimony of of uh, Hans Christian and Finn just mm. opposite us. We yeah, just nineteen eighty four. Yeah, look back look back at uh, the tragedy from nineteen eighty four. Uh, and and think about the, the the situation they might have been in mm. probably uh, quite similar to our situation so we were really really strict about checking each others checking the knots the belays everything and talked a lot all the time but it's true we, i was very nervous because i i sometimes i had poor vision i was having trouble focusing at mm. this sound in my ear this whistling sound a lot of the time i was i was quite tired <laughs> But uh, bad signs as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we. But I, I mean, I, 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 my bottom strategy for that time was that I've, I'd read stories about people uh, in 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 prison and so forth uh, living without food mm. uh, voluntarily, going without to to protest, you know. Mm. And I knew that people had had lived a lot longer than three or four days. Without, without food. food at all. Mm. If you get some liquid, and we had uh, snow to melt, we had still some gas and fuel, so we could drink. Uh, so I was I was quite confident that uh, this is possible. It's just to keep it together mentally. Mm. Uh, and you, you always, when you think you're finished physically, mentally, there's always a lot more <laughs> in you. That's the secret. Really. That's the secret. <laughs> and how was that first meal in in base camp? <laughs> it was uh it was great but uh it all came up <laughs> after two hours it all i puked out everything <laughs> i vomited all over because it was just your body wasn't i wasn't ready. adjusted to such a meal oh. i just ate too much uh, <laughs> in short time so it i mean we took uh, took another two or three days before i could eat properly mm. before i came down to the ground you had to just adjust to your new new food yes And we were we were quite skinny coming off that mountain. How do you look back at this great expedition today? I look back at it with uh, good memories of a of a true adventure that was at the right time in my life. I I learned really much about myself and the friends I went with. The, the, the what happens on an expedition, all the 
the communication the what's not communicated that well and <laughs> yeah. uh, I the learned, non-verbal communication yeah, I learned a really lot about the potential uh, if you will if you want that's most important if you want something really badly mm. you can do it and uh, the the power of, of of the mind to 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 achieve these things uh, I learned a lot I was drained for another six months after coming back home or more I was mentally and physically drained I had a like uh, yeah blues expedition blues as we call <laughs> yeah, it yeah, yeah. post traumatic stress syndrome uh, <laughs> you'd probably call it today but uh, a, a post expedition blues kind of a depression or a depression melancholy definitely. yeah definitely yeah. i was there's nothing at home here there was nothing was important staying alive i, I came, you came back from a everyday life where staying alive and coping with three other friends and getting uh, some energy into your body and that was the focus and now everybody in Oslo or where I was going they were yeah stressing around uh, with uh, not normal so, jobs normal jobs not so important goals <laughs> in my perspective but uh, that was it took some t- while a while before I I got back physically and mentally yeah you did this expedition with uh, Gunnar Carlsen mm. and Einar Wall and Per Ludvig Scherven. Yes. Did do you do you still meet and talk about this experience that you had together? Very rarely actually. We we had a 20 year year uh, celebration celebration a few years ago. That's the first time actually. Yeah. Cuz yeah, I don't know why but uh, I'm very poor at uh, this kind of uh, jubileums or celebrations. <laughs> I've never, I've always, I've had the fear of... Uh, you of, look forward. Yeah, I like to look forward. Yeah. I don't want to be a climber or a mountaineer or a person who goes around talking about things I've done. I like to do things. <laughs> I'm sorry about things. this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> so this is, but uh, probably about, yeah. it's about getting older. I've, I've... Uh, immediately when we got back from Trangu and the years to 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 follow, I was more or less just uh, I didn't want to talk about it because uh, I was not ashamed, but I wasn't proud of it. I was uh, I just wanted to go ahead, mm. and I also thought that this this is very selfish activity that n- not many other people can appreciate. Mm. I I'm not doing this for entertainment. I, I do it for myself, and mm. uh, it's it's. It took many years before I realized that uh, people actually get something from my sharing mm. of these stories, and uh, that that also has a value. It has a value. Would you do it again? Trango? Mm. No, no, definitely not. Because I mean, I would like to do that type of adventures, have that type of experience, but as of many things. Uh, these days, when I think back of th- climbs that I've done, I, I th- realized that, okay, that felt right at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but now it feels too dangerous. Mm. And it's not, yeah, a lot of the, 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 the Trango pulpit I wouldn't do today because I would I would think it was uh, too scary. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be comfortable there. Because was, you're now a, a father uh, or something else? It, it, that's complicated to see what is what, but it's probably... Uh, it's several things. It's father. It's uh, family. It's uh, age, mm. uh, biology, mm. loss of testosterone, <laughs> uh, experience. Yeah, a lot of uh, friends who have died in climbing. Mm. Uh, it all adds up. Yeah, and 
it gets at your confidence also. And I mean, it's, it's difficult to these risk discussions. And because when, when we did Trango, for example, that kind of climb, I, I was quite aware of uh, the risks around, mm-hmm. but I felt that um, uh, it was a risk that I could, uh, I could do in a risk. I could, venture into this risk in a reasonable manner there was mm. no guarantee that i would survive but i was i was reasonably sure that i would survive i would never do it if i thought i would die no for, for, no i'm not stupid it. i could manage it yeah. but that's uh, some of experience to be current i was in sh- super shape mm. i was doing 8a plus on site in the mountains, I'd just red pointed 8C climb. Mm. I was on the top of my career. I could move well in the mountains, which is uh, part of the security. Mm. So it's, uh, I would, and, and, but there's several things when I go to mountains these days, I, uh, all the time I see, wow, in the Jotunheimen, in our local uh, massive central here in Norway, it's like I go, come to places and I see, wow, shit, uh, 20 years ago, I passed, I, we never brought a rope here. We just <laughs> run over here. Yeah. I wouldn't do that now. It's just, uh, you... But, it's good to but, hear though. It, yeah, but then it's difficult because I don't, think I wouldn't say to people that what I did back then was stupid. No. No. And so if anybody passes me there who are uh, in shape physically and mentally to do it in mm. that way, I think that's good. Mm. That's that's I applaud that because even though I've lost it, <laughs> it's it's not I mean it's so difficult because risk it's if it's not risky, it's nothing to achieve, really. So we, we all like risks, but uh, or some of us like it more than others. But uh, the, 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 the fact, of course, if you do a mistake and you fall down and die, the risk is obvious. But, but the risk is obvious. To, to, I, I'm just, over the years, I've, actually, I've just become more, um, not that I've been critical to other risk takers, but I've been more and more aware that for me to stand outside or, or in a distance and judge somebody else's risk-taking, that's very difficult because mm. I don't know uh, what kind of risks they actually are taking. No. Because it's not objective. They, it's so much uh, uh, into so individual. individual, how they feel, how strong they are, how committed they are, how, how focused they are, what shape they are in. Are they going to... Obviously, if you uh, Alex Honnold, if he if he loses the grip on when he's soloing, uh, yeah, yeah. everybody says famous movie free solo. Yeah, it's stupid. He, he fell down, but to him, it's like it's the same. If you're driving on a freeway in a hundred miles an hour and mm. you 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 do something wrong, you're you're dead. Mm. And he's he's not going to lose that grip. No, he, yeah, he's got the confidence. He's got the confidence. So, so it's it's so and he's much strong enough. Yeah, and. Uh, and maybe it's about being in your twenties or early thirties. <laughs> yeah, also, but it's you have the confidence, but you also, of course, you you don't have you don't have you have to be realistic and and humble that you, that this 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 confidence is not false. Mm. I mean, you have to have built upon experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's for sure. If not, it's it's stupid or mm. risky or 
Um, it's complicated at least. I, I just try not to pass judgment when I, especially on sports where I don't like base jumping and these things where there's a lot of accidents, but it's easy to say that, ah, oh, it's very dangerous. People die all the time, but there's so many ways to do it. Mm. And two people that are doing the exact same activity, one might be doing it in a risky way mm. while the others, other is actually doing it in a fairly safe way. Yeah. Even though the consequences, if they lose the grip is the same. But it's it's very it's a good point. I I, it's, I just think the community people should be more careful about uh, judging judging uh, yeah. other people's risk taking. That's uh, today's philosophy. Thank you so much for being here, Robert. <laughs> You're welcome. Hope to see you soon. Thank you, Ivan. Norana Podcast is published by the Norwegian outdoor company Norana Sport. Norana has been producing premium outdoor products since 1929. Check out our clothes, backpacks, tents, sleeping bags and skis on our website norana.com. There you will also find more inspiring stories about our rich history, the expeditions we have participated in, our ambassadors and our ambitions in sustainability. Thank you for listening to Nurona Podcast. We really appreciate it. And welcome to nature.